Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. We are in the third book of third chapter of the book of Shmo Exodus. I believe that we finished the Rashi on verse 18. I think we read it quickly, but we read that last Rashi as he comments on the use of the root kuf resh hey to happen, something to just to take place in the story of Bilam. Uh, I believe that we're on, we're about to read verse 19. Let me read verse 18 one more time, even though we've done it over two different shirim, to see if there are any last comments, because it was a chunky verse, and then we'll go into verse 19. So again, vishamu kolecha, God says to um to Moshe, almost as a, a prophecy, they will indeed heed your voice. Uvata, you will go. Atav Israel, you and the elders of Israel, and Melech Mitraim to the king of Egypt. Vamartem Elav, you will say to him, Adonai Eloheha'iv Reim to Yuds, the God who is the God of the Hebrews, Nikra Alenu, happened upon us, manifested itself, God's self to us. Vata, and now, Nelchana, let us go. Derach Shlosh Yamim, a journey of three days. Bamidbar into the wilderness, Benizbecha Ladunai Eloheinu, and we will offer um, sacrifices to Adonai our God. Okay, so that's what we, we did that verse over the last two classes, and we finished the Rashi. Last comments or thoughts on this? Renee, your hand is up. I just want to donate our learning this, uh, dedicate our learning this morning to my brother's yard site. Thank you, Renee. And for those who are not at Minion, do you want to share a sentence about your dear brother of blessed memory? He was the best. He was the best big brother that any girl could ever ask for. And he was the best uncle that any kids could ask for. And I really miss him a lot. He's a chro baruch. And as you said at Minion this morning, he, he certainly would have reveled in all of the joyful things that are happening in your family. And I'm sad for you that you can't share it with him. Thanks. So yes, our our, our, our our Torah study this morning is dedicated to his memory. Joanna. Um, so I was quite fascinated by our discussion last week um, over the Sharish Kufreshe. And then I think it was Rick who pointed out its later usage as Kufresh Aleph. And it kind of lingered with me, and I was thinking about it throughout the day. And all of a sudden, a verse from Ruth popped into my head. In Ruth chapter two, when Ruth lands um, up in Boaz's field, we're told that by a double usage of the of the Shoresh, Vayikar Mikraha, it's so the happening so just so happened to happen that she ended up there. And Malbim has a fascinating con- uh, comment on that because he sees that as like, Wink, wink, there's no such thing as coincidence. It's divine providence. Mm. And he's, and his proof of that is um, the episode with Abraham's servant when he's sent out to find a wife for Isaac. And he says a, a prayer to God as he's on his journey, um, which starts, Hakrena Lefanai Hayom. And so clearly indicating that happenings are through the work of God. And as I thought about those stories, there are actually lots of parallels. Pick any two of those three stories, ours, um, Abraham's servant and Ruth, lots of parallels. But there are a couple of parallels I found in common among all three. 
The use of the Shoresh um, Pakod appears in all three stories. Derech appears in all three stories, some sense of a journey. And again, the comments on Derech and Ruth are fascinating and I think apply to all three stories that a physical journey isn't just a physical journey. Um, and all three stories involve interactions with non-Israelites. So I just thought that was like sort of a fascinating connection there around what's going on. And, you know, and to me, it speaks also to some of the discussion around the intersection between divine providence and human action, because all three of those stories, it's not like people laid back and God just took action. Human action was necessary also. Wow, Joanna, that, that is such an enriching comment. Thank you for that research. Thank you for going down that, that, um, that rabbit hole a little bit. And yes, I, I did not know that comment by the Malbim, but I'm totally taken by that notion that the very, the, the, um, the fact that Kara and Kara are uh, homonyms um, and on some ways they mean the opposite of one another, right? That with the olive, it suggests intentionality and a calling out and a, and a directed revelation. And with a, Hey, it's, it seems to be the opposite, the opposite happenstance. It may be one of those um, biblical polarities that are really kissing cousins and that they're, they're, they're much closer than we think. And things that we uh, sometimes that we think that we think are God speaking directly to us are just uh, accidents. And sometimes accidents are, are are happening for a very very specific reason. So that that's a wonderful expansion of our conversation. Thank you, Joanne. Uh, Barry, I see your hand. You're muted. We don't hear you. Uh, that, that was that was very exciting. I, I'm just um, thinking now. Uh, when Joseph happens upon the stranger who uh, gives him directions to find his brothers, uh, was there a shorish there also? I mean, there was a word, so I'm sure, I'm sure there was a shorez. I don't think it's the root. I don't think the root kufresh hay appears. Um, I think it's um, it may be pei uh, gimel ayin. I'm not sure offhand. No, no, you you brought that up. It's thinking of all, all the. T- Sorry, it was it was it was matzah by ehu ish that he that a, a man found him mem tzadi aleph. Okay, just happened to find him. Okay, happened to find. Him. Um, okay. I, I, just to linger there for one more second, I mean, even in English, in English um, uh, idiom, like the word happen both means random and, and, and as you were saying, Joanna, a wink, wink to non-random, like a happening is actually something significant, right? A, hap- a happening is not just a happening. It's almost as like the word is playing with its own antonym. Something, when something is is a happening it's the opposite of something happening by random but we use the word happen to indicate it in english so it's interesting across cross cultures and millennia um the, the, these these ideas are dancing with each other larry and diane yeah i want to go in a slightly different direction but a, a much different direction i sometimes get lost in where we are i have to remind myself we're at the burning bush <clears throat> and this is this is god telling Moshe, what he's supposed to do when he goes into Egypt. And he's basically said to him, and so imagine Moshe's listening. He said, um, you're going to tell the elders um, that God manifested himself to us. And now, therefore, 
let us go a distance of three days into the wilderness. And I know we haven't come to the next verse yet, but why is the Moshe saying, whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on, hold on, Hashem. What do you mean three days? I, I thought we were going for good. And I can't, I can't, I don't think we talked about, about this. And I don't see, um, I haven't looked, looked at all the commentary, but why isn't there commentary on why this is the, God is letting him in on the plan, which we know is the request as he builds up during the 10 plagues. But it's really a weird thing for God to be saying to Moshe in, in giving him instructions to the people without saying, and this is part of my plan or something else. I'll, I'll yes and you, Larry, because you're right. We're, we're, we're not given the full, um, um, the, the full curated script here in terms of what God is communicating to Moshe along the, you know, on the side. But we do have God already having said in verse 17 that I'm taking you out of Egypt. And, I'm, and where am I taking you to? So there's already an articulation, Moshe. There's our destination. And you're right. There's an implication then in verse 18. But the strategy is going to be what you're going to tell God, is, uh, Pharaoh, is not that you're going to the land of the Hivites and the, and the Canaanites, but a three-day journey. And you're right. It doesn't say it explicitly with God saying to Moshe, okay, here's our plan. I think we're supposed to, um, we're, we're supposed to uh, just, just take that in without explicit question. Um, and you're right. On, on, our, on our page there's no one. There's no one asking that particular question. Remember that um, questions, um, arguments from silence are endless. Like why? Why didn't something get said or gets asked? Is is like is a is a good wondering and also an endless wondering because there are many more things that could that are not said that could be than that actually are said. Um, but I do think that verse seventeen indicates from God to Moshe, what the long-term plan is. I can accept that. <laughs> I accept your acceptance. Okay, but why don't you stay unmuted, Larry or Diane, um, and read verse 19, and we'll push forward. Okay, I guess I'm, I'm, I'm elected. Vani adati ki lo yiten etchem melech mitzrayim lehaloch velo biyad chazakah. Um, and so this is still God speaking to Moshe, yep. suppose still telling him what he's supposed to tell the elders, if I'm correct. Mm-hmm. And I know <clears throat> that um, he won't give uh, to you, the God, Melech Mitzrayim, won't give to you, won't, won't allow you to, won't give to you to go, won't allow you to go, um, semicolon. And then it says, and and not with a strong hand, but I think that means lulo without, without a uh, and not without a strong hand. Good. So in, in translating that verse there, you you've done a lot of the work that Rashi is going to do with us. We're going to do it with Rashi slower, but you you kind of stumbled and resolved in that after stumbling on the two parts of the verse that are that are that are challenging. Right. One is what does the root natan mean here? That uh, in case everyone is. Not everyone is getting it. The lo yitain is from the root natan. It's a considered a pei nun verb where the first letter of the root is a nun and it falls out in, in certain forms. So this is God will not give. How do you translate give? 
I like how you did it. You said God will not give to go, meaning permit, right, or allow. So you 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 rendered it literally, and then you gave what seems to be the obvious sense of the word. Um, and then there's velo. So uh, I like how you reread it as lilo. Lilo, if not if people don't know it, is a less common uh, Hebrew, more po- poetic way of saying without. Um, so. Um, what, what would be indicated here is I will not, God, uh, Pharaoh will not let you go without a strong hand, unless if I offer my strong hand, because if you don't read it that way, it's hard to make sense of. The king of Egypt will not let you go and not with a strong hand. It, you, you can turn it into English words, but it doesn't mean anything if you do it that way. So let's pause there. And anyone want to comment on, on either the two things that Larry resolved there in the verse or anything else that bumps, that um, awakens in your mind in the verse. Elon? So two questions. One is on the word yadati. Why, and my translations has the same thing. Why is it translated in the, in the present as opposed to the past? Wouldn't it be va'ani yodea? Doesn't va'ani yadati mean I knew? Yeah, good. So it's almost, it's almost certainly, um, uh, meant to be a present tense concept. And I, I don't have a great answer for you as to why it's Yadati. The, the, the answer is, by, is basically a repeat of the question, which is why is it rather common in biblical sentences for there to be a, a, a use of a tense of a verb that doesn't seem right from our perspective? And part of that, we discussed this a little bit. I, I, am, I love language. I'm not a trained philologist. So there are, you know, someone who's has more scholarly training and this could answer it more, more complex. We take for granted our tenses because we have learned to speak this way. And in the same way that, you know how like, you know, time obviously exists, but in some ways time does not exist, right? A butterfly doesn't know what time is. So if, if not every creature is experiencing time, can we say that time is actually some way a construct of the human mind, right? Clearly there's a passage of something, but the notion of time, is a construct. And if the notion of time is a construct, then the words and syllables we use to convey that time is also a construct. So we just take it for granted that there's such a thing as a past tense, a present tense, and a future tense. And we kind of graft English backwards onto either earlier English or, um, or other, other languages, assuming that in the, I don't know, the 13th century BCE in Canaan, not just their language, their conception of what time is was more or less the same as ours. But what if their conception of time was 70% of what our conception of time is? Then the whole notion of how they used words to denote that is even more confounding, which is a long way of saying, you're right, we would translate adati as and I knew, or maybe I have known. And we're not 100% sure why that phrase would, would uh, appear here. Except that if you if, if you read poetry and if you read Shakespeare and you read even you know certain writers today, there is a playfulness with tense that I don't know th- thickens the possibilities in a verse. Um, Everett Fox, who's usually very careful about these things, is is kind of uncareful here in the sense that he he would say back to you, Elon, I don't know why it's yadati. We all know it's a present tense verb. He translates it as but I know. Does anybody have a translation that that in, it all gives um, possibility to the past tenseness of this verb? Either of your two interesting ones, Larry? 
Well, not alter. Alter, alter actually, the only thing he comments on is the Ani Yadati, which is, he says, and I, on my part, know, which is the emphasis when you repeat the, um, the, the, the pronoun. But then he says... Uh, okay, Ever Fox does also. He, he's very careful about that. When you have an unnecessary pronoun and it's included, he usually adds a comma, but I, comma, I know that the king of Egypt. Okay. But, but Arya Kaplan, who I hope, he, I, I hope Avi Khadivi won't mind my saying this, revealed yesterday in the most interesting uh, Sidur class ever, and I recommend to everybody to go listen to it. It's absolutely fantastic, and it changed my davening this morning, wow. as, as did your davening and, and, Rabbi, and, and Rabbi Chorney. It was the best davening ever. Wow. I commend people to come to either Zoom or come to the, come to the, the shul. In any case, um, Avi Chavivi, Rabbi Chavivi, revealed that Arya Kaplan is one of his um, theological mentors, yeah. and that is well worth listening to. But here's what Arya Kaplan translates it as. I know in advance that the Egyptian king will not allow you to leave. And I have a theory about that, which I don't see his commentary. Is it possible that the the, the va on the before the ani actually serves as a vava puch? So I will know. I know in advance, as opposed to Yadati, I knew. I saw that Vera just joined, so I'm going to yield to her in a second. I'm not aware in what's called classic grammar that a vav in front of the pronoun can be understood to hipuchize the verb, right? <laughs> that, that, that there might be something else going on, but I'm not aware that if, uh, that, uh, that if you have... Right, it's, it's interesting because since the ani is extraneous, it's a really interesting question, right? Yadati already means I knew. Therefore, had the Ani not been there, and it would have been just been Viyadati, then it actually would have been Vavayipur. So if the Ani is like shoved in there as an unnecessary extraneous word, then, then possibly, and I wonder if that's informing either consciously or unconsciously Arya Kaplan's um, translation. But again, I think uh, formally speaking, I think the answer would be no, which, but that doesn't mean that there's not something going on here. Formally speaking, it's only the Vav in front of a verb itself, not the pronoun before a verb, that can invert the tense. Um, Vered, I know there's so many hands up, which, I'm, which is wonderful because it's a great verse, but Vered, if I can put you on the spot, c- c- is there any way of reading the vav in front of va'ani as exchanging the tense of the verb yadati? Is she there? Bokertov. <clears throat> Not to my knowledge, but you know, uh, people who have commentaries are often playing with the verbs and the vowels. Uh, more so, I just want to say that in grammar world, if you say yadati or yadanu, if you use the first person single or plural, you actually don't need to say the pronoun itself. You don't need to say ani or anachnu. It's understood only for those two. So here we have not only ani yadati, which is extra ani, but the vav is um, a connecting vav. It has the vowels of a connecting vav, which is the same vowels for connecting, I mean, for saying vavaipuch from past to future. So whatever Mr. Kaplan wants to um, say, 
Katonti, who am I to say <laughs> something else? Um, wonderful, Vered. I'll say one more thing and then I'll get to the hands that are up. Even in modern Hebrew, Elon, and we've discussed this before, the slang has brought forward some of this fluidity of tense. And again, I don't think it's an intentional thing. I think it just happens. Right? Um, where you know, you're sitting at a table and you say to your friends, halachnu, which literally means we went. What it means in the moment is let's go. So, so the modern Hebrew form has held onto some of this um, interweaving use of tense in the Torah. It's, it's probably the case that this verb just meant I know, and there's probably something that we can't fathom as to what is what is being imputed to this verse with the verb itself appearing in the past tense. I, I, I can't work it out, but you're right that it's a something, or it's probably. Right. So I feel more comfortable with that interpretation, which is it's there. We don't know why. And, and, it, and I had a second part of the verse that I was questioning, which is, and then, and, uh, below um, right it's and and the issue is kind of the same which is sometimes I think we as Jews are too comfortable saying well that doesn't make sense therefore it must be this mm. and I, I grapple with that I, it's not something that um I'm not necessarily no I shouldn't say I'm not necessarily comfortable I am not comfortable with the fact that that we say that, and I, may, I use that as a royal way far too often, right? Well, it's not comfortable for me, therefore it must not be that. Well, maybe it is that. And just, you know, the fact that it doesn't make sense, it doesn't make sense. Right. Great. Uh, I, I, and, and there's something lyrical about the fact that you're making that comment on the words of Yadati, which is God expressing specific knowledge about something. Sometimes we actually have to look at that and say, we, we're, it, it might not make sense, and that and that, and and we and we're not, we're not going to figure it out, right? Or even like I said, even with the mighty hand, it's the same thing. You're right. In in the way it reads, it doesn't make sense. So, but we say, like I'm okay with the fact that it doesn't make sense. I guess <laughs> is, is yeah. And and the midrashic enterprise, as we've said a hundred times in a hundred and fifty different ways, is being super OCD sensitive to minor things in the verse that don't make sense, but then using that to open up to a world of possibility to a, to a, to different layers and contours and like an Escher painting of, of possibilities. We've used the Mary Poppins imagery before of, of Bert and Mary jumping into a two dimensional painting. And then all of a sudden they're, they're winning the Derby, right. And, and on a Fox hunt that that's the midrashic enterprise, but you can only do that if you're sensitive to a tiny, tiny thing, not making Perfect sense, right? Okay, so many hands up. I have no idea what the order they were, so I'm just going to do it on the screen. Uh, Rick, you're next. Thank you. I think I was next after a long. All right, so after all that about uh, being super sensitive about teeny little things, uh, trope, um, the first two words, it's a munaf sakev katon. And um, the first time we have that in the Torah is lo yadati with uh, Cain not knowing that Abel was his brother, that he was responsible for his brother. Okay? Hold on, that's the first. That's the first munach katon that doesn't that has lo that has lo yadati, that has the word yadati. But it's not the first munach katon of the Torah. No, no, sorry, but yeah, that was, more amazing. But I had a, yeah. a hard reading that. No, no, it's not. It's it's just. The first time you see lo yadati in the Torah, it's a munach, okay? The second time is avimelech, 
He says the same thing with the same trope. I didn't know that the men were stopping up the wells. Hamana, hamana, hamana. I didn't know that. So in my mind, both of those are, are linked in that what did they know? What did they really not know? And um, Cain knew it was his brother and Avimelech knew what was going on with the wells. So that brings us to here. What did God know and what did God not know? Why is he doing this plan if it's not going to work? Uh, or it's going to work exactly like this. So I don't, I don't know what the layers are there, but I just thought I'd raise that. And what does it even mean to apply the root yada, which we translate into the English no, and we know when we translate that, that whatever yada means, it doesn't work perfectly as the English word K-N-O-W. What does it mean to say that God knows or doesn't know something? Right? We've discussed it before. If, if God knows, does that mean... God once didn't know, and now God knew. Did God learn it? And Uncleus is playing with that a little bit. If you look at Uncleus's translation here, and then we'll get to um, Tova and then Rebecca. Um, Uncleus translates it not as the Aramaic for the word no, but ukedamai gilei. It has been revealed in my presence, been revealed before me. So somehow Uncleus wants to say that, that the concept of knowledge to God is different than our concept of knowledge, but it, it, it's, it's a revelation before God. But even that is weird because isn't all reveal isn't God is the revealer, not, not the object, not the one to whom something is revealed. So if it is revealed before God, does that mean it was once not revealed before God? Then all of a sudden God had a revelation. So even the knowledge of knowledge in this verse is hard to make sense of, not to mention the truck, the, the tense of it. Tova and then Rebecca, and then we'll go down the list. Uh, okay, uh, on two points. On the first one, on, on Yadati, uh, I'm somehow finding it less clashing because for me, that's the statement that, he, that God is making. Seeks from the pronouncement he made earlier that you will go down into Egypt. Uh-huh. And so it comes from that. God knew then, and the Ani is like, and I surely knew okay. that you would that you would not come out, you know, easily. It's just part of that foreknowing. Um, So that's the way that I read it. Uh, For the last part, the Velo Biyad Hazakah, I have more of a question than a comment. Um, Larry translated it as without a strong hand. Silberman translates it not even by a strong hand. And I find that difference really fascinating because with Larry's translation, it's it will require all of these things that we know are coming. Silberman suggests, yes, those things will happen, but even something beyond that's going to be required. I'm so, so glad you surfaced that, um, Tova, both those comments. First of all, the first thing you said, that's a wonderful rescuing of the past tenseness of Yadati. I, I'm, I'm really moved by that. Um, Everett Fox also adds in that even in parentheses. And here again, this is translation as commentary par excellence. There's no way to translate this without offering your interpretation as to what it means. Right? So he says, but I, comma, I know that the king of Egypt will not give you leave to go. He's, he's being um, precise, but inelegant, right? Give you leave, because that's the yitain lahaloch, not, parentheses, even under a strong hand. And there's, and, and there's so much going on there in terms of our diving into what 
God did and did not know about how the plagues were going to happen. And this plays, mm-hmm. this, these are important theological conversations, right? Important theological conversations about, did God know how much suffering from the very beginning was going to have to be mm-hmm. rained down on the Egyptians to achieve this exodus? Do we want to know whether or not God knew all that? Right? And that's all built into this, um, this word, this word, no, and the, and the strong handedness that's going to be required. Thank you, Tova. Beautiful comments. Rebecca. Um, I actually wanted to make two comments on the two, the, the exact same two points. One about the Adati. I think that often um, in, in modern Hebrew, but also in English, when we use the past tense, we're about something that is currently happening. We're actually uh, describing a state of mind, like saying, uh, so I wanted to say, which is not something that I wanted necessarily to do in the past, but it's sort of describing yeah. a state of mind. Yeah. And so um, I would interpret the Adati in this case as I am of the, I own the knowledge that. Um, and then about the below, um, my first reading of it would be as it is read. Um, Sorry about that. Go ahead. That the strong arm will not be enough to let you out. You know, it took not nine plagues, but ten. So I think it's sort of consistent with actually what act, what does happen. It takes even more than just a strong arm or a strong hand to to um, to get Pharaoh to do um, the will of God. <laughs> yeah, there, there's a there's a horrific foreshadowing about the amount of God's strong hand that's going to be required to achieve this liberation. Um, and, and it may even be that the, the lack of certainty as to what to do with the Adachazaka is related to a discomfort with how much of that was foreknown and preordained. Um, thank you, Rebecca. Okay. Joanna, Barbara, Barry, Larry. Larry Diane. Two things. Um, one, I, I'm not 100% sure I'm remembering grammar correctly and welcome anyone to correct me. But I think va'ani is always va'ani because um, in the word ani, it really should be a shva, but because an aleph can't take a shva, it takes the combo vowel of patach plus shva. And the grammar still treats it like a shva. So a vav can never have a shva when it proceeds, when the next letter also has a shva. So the word is always va'ani in every context, and it's nothing unusual about having va'ani here. And um, as we were talking about the past tense, um, I looked up the verse on Safaria to um, see if anybody spoke to that. And I think um, his Kuni does. A little bit. Yes, I saw that too. He dances with it a little bit. What, you want to read that out loud? Sure. Um, oh, sorry, one second. I just, give me one second to get back to it. I can also bring that up onto the screen. Hold on a second. I was debating whether some of us who have that Torah Chaim Kumash have it in front of us, but since not everyone does, let me quickly bring it up. This is verse 18 or 19. This is verse 19. 19. Yes. 
Okay. Um, so I'm going to bring this up under the screen and you can kind of walk us through it. All right. Everyone see that? Go ahead. Uh, um, so uh, he starts just by quoting our verse and then says, God revealed to Moses beforehand. And I think that beforehand is the whole clue to it. Um, because to me, what he's Kuni is getting at here is take yourself. The present tense moment is standing in front of Pharaoh. So if that's the present tense in the past beforehand, God already knew this. Yeah. In fact, in fact, this English translation of Hiskuni's quoting of the verse before the translation of Hiskuni's commentary itself, I know that's confusing, is translating Hiskuni's quoting of the verse, the word already, I know already. And I think that's, that's, that's playing with what um, I think it was Tovo saying before, that it's, uh, and Rebecca, like I'm, I'm bringing to this moment that I, I, I already knew this was happening. I already knew. Great. Um, okay. Jan- Joanna, was there, was there another comment as well? No, that's it. Um, I don't remember who was next. Barbara. Barbara, go ahead, Barbara. And then Barry and then Larry. Dyke. I, I just wanted to read the Safari translation of the verse because I like it really a, a lot. Okay. Yet I know that the king of Egypt will let you go only because of a greater might. I like that only in there. Can he says might instead of hand? No big difference, but... But only because of that. That's not in our um, translation that we've had already. Yeah. So um, the, the the use of the word only phrases <laughs> is really significant. I remember it took me, you know, weeks of, of, of yeshiva to understand that in Hebrew, a low dot, 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 and then an ella should not be translated as no, rather, but she should be translated as only. That 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 only... Our use of the word only sometimes takes two words in Hebrew separated by other words. And so there's a, there's a miniature version of it going on here that, that, that the, the low yitain, he, he will not permit you. You have to, you, know, you, you can't translate that will not permit you until you actually get to the end, end of a sentence. And that second below is kind of doing an except for, which means if no except for means only will only do it under these circumstances. Now, as we saw, that's not the haha only way of actually reading the simple meaning of that verse. But that is mo- the most common way of understanding what those two lows are doing with, to each other. Um, Barry, and then Larry, Diane, and then let's we'll get to Rashi. So um, I'm looking at the uh, uh, Ani Adanti, and, and I, I'm hit with the, the simultaneity of God's existence. Um, God exists before um, this existence that we know. And in that pre-existence, uh, yadati, it, it's pre-known. Uh, this is all known. But the Ani, uh, uh, God is now in the current situation. Uh, God's self is in here speaking to Moshe at the burning bush. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I, I know that it's in, in my pre-knowledge. It, this, this is so. It's very uncomfortable to say this in English because it contravenes anything that is comfortable for us. Correct. And, and you've, you've uh, alerted us to that in the past, Barry, that, that our human attempt to make sense of God with words and language and applying the concept of tense to God 
is in itself a, a ridiculousness, right? And the best we can do is the Adon Olam, but who Hayah, who Hoveh, And if you are a being who is Hayah, Hoveh, and Yeh, which is not like us, what does a past tense verb even mean to you, with respect to you? Um, while Larry and Dan are making a comment, I'm, I'm going to move my computer because I'm running out of juice and I don't have a, a plug with me. So, so I'm sorry for the distraction, but Larry and Dan, go ahead. So I want to talk about the end of the verse, Velo Riyad Chazakah. Arya Kaplan has um, a very interesting translation, which is, unless he is forced to do so. And, and then there's a note and he's got a variety of translations of that phrase. So he says, Ralbag, the Septuagint, literally, and not with a strong hand. Alternatively, and not even by threat of force. Rashpam and Hirsch, yes, that's right. uh, even after a show of force. That's close to Chesmini. and Sforno. And, but not because of his strength, Rashi and Rashpam. Even after my miracles are Barbanel, and most emphatically so, or and most emphatically so. So a whole variety of ways of thinking about those last words. Yeah. Can anyone, before we actually look at the Rashi, make sense of the verse? I don't know how to say the sentence in English. If it just means what it looks like it means, if, the, if it just meant, and I know that God will not permit you to go and not with a strong hand can anyone make sense of that if, if it doesn't mean only with and if it doesn't mean even with it just means and not with is there anyone who can who can, who can convert that into meaning that is meaningful so so i think Arya kaplan's unless he's forced to do so by some power that's not force i think there's a simpler explanation okay I don't don't think this is the explanation, but the simple explanation would be, and and Pharaoh's playing with a weak hand. In other words, imagine an analogy that you say to someone, try to get this guy to do this, and he's not going to do it, but he's got a weak hand, so you can push him and you can get him to do it. With, with so the biyada chazakab modifying Pharaoh and not God. Exactly. Right. So, uh, so uh, Rashi's going to get close to that. A, a little more simple is that there's only one strong hand in this story. Yeah. So and so and and, it, and it's not and it's not Pharaoh. Yeah. Okay. So with that as a setup, uh, we, we've done a lot of wonderful pre-surgery on this verse. Now let's actually read Rashi, um, which again he's not the only person to comment on the verse, but this is primarily a Rashi thing that we're investigating. So um, first. Um, Larry, uh, the first Rashi, Loyutenachem. Right. Let me just get back to the first Rashi. Okay. So the first, the first Rashi, Loyutenachem, Melech Mitzrayim Lahaloch. Im en ani mare lo yadi hachazaka klomar kol od she'en ani modio modio now, before you start translating, Larry, I'll just give you the tiny hint that sometimes the, the Rashi's comment begins after the quotation of the verse. And sometimes, and this is the case, in order to understand Rashi, he actually wants you to read through, like to, to, to his, his words are actually a continuation of the verse. So he wants you to read through 
to help understand the verse. So, so start translating from Lo Yitein and then keep reading through. Okay. Um, so, um, he won't give, give you, the, the, well, not, the king of Egypt won't allow you to go, won't allow you to, won't, won't give you to go, give you leave to go, if um, I don't show him uh, my strong hand. My, yeah, my, okay. So you can't get out of here unless I show him my, my strong hand, um, which is to say, <clears throat> um, he, it was just to say, um, as long as I don't, um, uh, if I don't announce my strong hand, right? I don't, so he's using, instead of Mare, he's saying, um, he's using Modia. If I don't, um, if I don't demonstrate, announce my strong hand, he won't give you to go. It seems to me just to be almost redundant here. Yeah. I don't see the, I don't see the difference between the two the two parts of, of, of Rashi. The the three parts of the phrase are Pharaoh won't allow you to go if I don't show him my strong hand. And then Rashi is saying, Rashi's continuing, which is to say as long as oh, that's the difference. Call Ode. It, it it is a little bit the department of redundancy department. I think what Rashi might say is first thing I'm gonna do is actually quote the verse and continue the verse the way I think it, it should sound and mean. And then I'm going to paraphrase the whole thing again. Right. So, right. okay. Right. So, and, and I, I like how you uh, translated it. You, you, you created an unless here, right. And unless these, these words are fascinating words, right. We know how to use them, but it's interesting to break them down. The im ain ani literally means if I don't show him, but what that means is, unless I show him, right? Because you can have the same meaning with a negative or with something that's not a negative, which is like an unless, even though unless has some negative built into it. Um, And notice that even though the part of the verse that Rashi is quoting, and I'm going to put that in quotation marks because I remind us that we're not 100% sure that the words that we have here as the the quoted words from the verse, we're not 100% sure that Rashi included those initially in his comments so he might have just been commenting on the on the verse itself but let's say he did include them he's actually not in quoting the words from the verse that he's mostly commenting on which is the the because he quotes the part of the verse that he thinks makes sense and then he fills in what he thinks is like a you know like a a better way or a clear way of saying god will not permit um, the, the king of Egypt will not permit you to go unless I show God my strong hand, which is to say, as long as I don't show him. Notice the, I think it's a bit of a wink wink that when Rashi moves from Maret to Modio, he's playing with Yada, unless I make known, I, God, who know this, unless I make known to Pharaoh my strong hand, there's no way you're going to get out of here. So Rashi is doubling down on the idea that the best way to translate this is in a unless or an, an only, in the, only in the following situation, which is to say, I know from the very beginning that my strong hand is going to be required. I'll add to that. I know from the very beginning that there's going to be suffering on their side. I know from the very beginning that he's going to harden his heart or I'm going to be a part of hardening his heart and I'm still doing it, right? So Moshe is revealing 
getting re- God is revealing to Moshe for the first moment at the burning bush, I already know, Moshe, that I'm sending you into a situation that's going to force you to represent my strong hand in wounding and damaging them as a way of extracting my people from Egypt. So there's actually a lot built in to reading the um, low Biyad HaZakah that way. And as we'll see in a second, it's not the only way even Rashi reads it. Pause. Any, any other comments on, on that part of it? I just make a very simple comment, which is it's almost as if God is saying, you'll still need me. Don't think I've given you all the information <clears throat> and now you can go back, get the elders, tell Pharaoh to go, and off you go. You need my strong, you need my strong hand. You can't do it yourself. Yeah, good, good. Joel? I mean, it, it, you can actually read it two different ways. One is, I'm sending you even though I know he's not going to let you go unless I, you know, do my stuff. Or the reason I'm sending you is because I know he's never going to let you go unless we do it this way. Good, good. And um, there's, I've used this term before, uh, a havamina, like a, 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 a what I might have thought that is sometimes has to be raised and then rejected in an argument like this. So there is a, um, a super commentary on Rashi that tries to explain why it's so important for Rashi to not have you think that what the phrase means is I'm not going to, he's not going to let you go even with a strong hand, right? It doesn't mean that. And why does it not mean that? Because we have two other places, at least two other places going forward where we're going to actually see that is very, it is indeed, in chapter six, verse one, God is going to say, it's actually, it's more clear. It's with my strong hand that Pharaoh will send you forward. And later on, when there is a, um, a, a, a looking back on Exodus night in chapter 13 of Shemot, is what with, was with a strong hand that God took you out of Egypt. You, you know that line from the Haggadah. So since the Torah later on makes reference to the fact that it is specifically through God's strong hand that Exodus happens, then, reader, don't read this verse as saying, he will not let you go even with a strong hand, which is what the lo could mean, it just doesn't mean that here, according to the first interpretation of Rashi. Okay, now Rashi's going to go on a slight tangent um, on the verb lo yitain, and then he's going to come back later on, which we may or may not get to this class, for another way of reading the biyad hazaka. So let's read um, the tangent. But before we read the tangent, um, Larry, everyone look at the unculus again. We looked at it um, briefly on. Va'aniyadati, which Uncleus translates as Uktabai Galei, it's revealed before me. Are that La Yishbok. La is low. Uncleus translates Yitain from the root Natan into the Aramaic Yishbok, Shin Bet Kuf. I'm going to pull up what that word means for those of you who don't know it. Hold on one second, I have it out. So glad. <laughs> we heard you. <ya. laughs> oh, sorry. Okay. Um, okay. So this is um, the jastro on the root shin bet kuf, which um, it, I, I'm sure there are poetic places in Hebrew where this root retains its ancient meaning. But it's a but but in in um, in ancient ancient Aramaic, it's a different root than uh, than in Hebrew. So shin bet kuf is to leave to let go, 
to forsake, to abandon, to leave behind, to bequeath, right? Um, if you go down to his, the second translation here, to remit, to pardon, forgive. Guess what is not in any of these translations? To give, right? So, so whatever Shabbat means, it's not, it's, it's not the same as our, our basic understanding of what notain, mean, notain means. It means to permit, to let go. So when Uncle translates it as La Yishbok Yadchon, it's not that that um, the King of Egypt will not give you, but but not allow, permit, let let go. Okay. So Rashi is going to quote that and then expand that out. So now you can read Larry. Okay. So Rashi, um, Rashi. Well, somebody says Kitagu. Uh, Kitagumo, like is in the is in the Targum, Lo Yishbok Kemo. So he's quoting the the Targum, um, and then it says Kemo. And now we've got a quote from Bereshit, uh, chapter twenty, verse six. Al Al Kain Lo Nataticha. And I didn't look it up yet. And I asked, I, "You got it?" Yeah. Okay. Oh, there it is. Sorry. 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 Okay, sir. Um, this is um, Avi Melech, I believe. Um, and one of the many such times where either Abraham or Isaac finds himself either in Gerar or in Egypt, and there's some potential capturing of, of, of either Sarah or Rebecca, and then a saving of Sarah Rebecca, and then God doing something to punish the king for having you know, uh, captured her. And now this is God saying to Avimelech in the dream, God said to him in a dream, Gam anochi yadati, interesting, I have known, it was with a pure heart you did this. I mean, not, not that pure, pure in the sense that you didn't know that she was married, not pure in the sense that you didn't take her. You did take her, but you didn't know she was married. And I, I kind of, I spare you from the notion of your having sinned against me. Al Cain, therefore, lo nitaticha lingoa eleha. Same translation problem. We can't really translate it as, therefore, I have not given you, because certainly not given as a transitive verb, but I have not let you. Here it's translated here as let you. So here the lo nitaticha is more clearly rendered as a permit as opposed to a give and so rashi uses as a proof text to support uncle's translating as uh, <coughs> keep reading um um which is from shmot um and I, are you going to show that one as well? I am. I had it up and it closed down. So hold on one second. What's the exact citation? Thirteen nine, right? Uh, no, it's is it? It's um, thirty one. <clears throat> so thirty one. Thirty one, Rabbi. Thirty one. Thirty one. Verse eight. Thirty one eight. Thirty one eight. It's bray sheet thirty one. Bray sheet, right? Okay. Oh, it's a mistake. Seven. Yeah, it says Shemot here. Yeah. It's in the translation, Joel. I see you're looking at the translation. It says it's 31. 
But the 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 Rashi itself in in the in the Torah Chaim says Shemot Lamad Alef Chet. Um, I don't know why I'm having such a hard time finding it. Here, thirty one thirty one seven. Okay, here we go. Thirty one seven. Okay, so here we go. Chapter thirty one of Bereshit. <laughs> this is um, Yaakov talking to uh, Rachel and oh, about Lavan. And he says to them, as the fleeing happens, Va'avichen hetel bi, your father has done, has cheated me, ve'hechlif et maskorti, and kept changing my payment, aseret monim, ten different times, ve'lo nitano Elohim lahara'imadi. God did not blank to do evil to me. Permit, let, right? And so once again here, it's just, there's no way you could translate it as give. So it's being translated um, it, it, therefore, it can be used as a as a proof text. Right? Could, could we say give leave? Did not give leave. Yeah, you could, and 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 this is where, as English has developed, even the word give has changed. There, there, you know, there are certainly uh, um, more archaic uses of the English give that permit an understanding of the word permission. Correct. Okay, keep going, um, Larry. Okay. Um, <clears throat> so I guess I'm at the Chulan Lashon Netina Hem, and they're they're all of the um, language of Netina um, Hem. Right. So what I think Rashi is saying with those words are these two proof texts that I share with you, which you know, reader, what they mean, and they don't mean give but they're using the, the verb netina to suggest something like a giving of permission, right? So even though they use netina, they use that root, they, it, it's not hard to figure out in those contexts what the words mean. Therefore, import that into our verse. Uncleus was right. You can translate natan as shavak, which means to give leave, to permit, to let happen. But don't we do this all the time in modern Hebrew? Let me go. Um... We do. And this is probably why. Right? Yeah. Right. So you, you might ask yourself, so why does Rashi have to even go there? Isn't, isn't it obvious that the root yitain means that? Right? Sometimes Rashi answers a question that wasn't a huge problem because uh, a common user of Hebrew knows that. But it is different, right? Because latate, the, 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 the standard way of understanding the verb latate, which even in the imperative, the infinitive is a weird form because you don't have I, you don't have either nun um, in, of notain in the infinitive latate. So that's um, complicated, although the biblical infinitive is litain. Uh, it can either be a transitive verb that has a direct object to give something or here to, to, to permit something to happen. And Rashi wants to make sure we understand it that way. Not that we would have been that confused. Okay, um, we're at 929. Let's hold it here because the next... The next thing that Rashi does is give an entirely different reading of the Velobiyata Chazaka that he gave once, but it jives with some of the other things that we already said, right? Because we, we played around with lots of possibilities of Velobiyata Chazaka before we even read Rashi on it. So let's call it so that we don't have to rush through that, and we'll pick up on the second part of that Rashi next week. Can I just add something for a second? Please. Uh, 
Where he was saying that it was in Shemot, but the word isn't Shemot, it's actually Sham, Ibid. So it says Sham, Wabit, Olive, Chet. So the last, the last quotation was from Breshit, so is this one. It's Ibid. Correct. That, that, that reminds me of, right, the whole Magdil Migdol uh, situation that we think that um, the reason why to this day we say, Sometimes I even forget which one. Magdil weekday migdol on Shabbat, because there was a notation in some book a long time ago that said Shin Bet, and someone thought that that was a reference to Shabbat, but it's actually a reference to Shmuel Bet, the second book of Shmuel, which is where that uh, word uh, comes from in a Haftarah that we read actually a few weeks ago. So, yes, yeah, sometimes those those two letters push put us in the wrong direction. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.